Another week, another win for Michigan, and whoa, Nelly, this was not your average win. Michigan 27, Nick Saban led Alabama 20 in overtime at the Rose Bowl, and now there's only one game left for this team to etch its place in immortality. Happy New Year. Welcome to 16 Saturdays. Nick Fogel here with my brother, Will. Will, how are we doing this afternoon? Nick, it, it is indeed a happy new year. Um, before before we get into it, is the Woe Nelly, was that your Keith Jackson That was my impression? Keith Jackson. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I liked it. I'm <laughs> here for it. I'm here for it. Did you know that outside the Rose Bowl, there's a statue of Keith Jackson? I saw that. I didn't know. Is that like a real thing or is that a... I, I think it's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm buying it. Right. I'm buying into to them selling that. Uh, but Nick, I mean, you say one more to etch this team's place in immortality to my mind they're already there the last time michigan won the rose bowl was 1998 it was that national title team that beat uh ryan leaf uh washington state in the rose bowl the last time we alabama it was tom brady right you have to go back over 20 years to do any of the talk about any of the things that this team just did and so we are we are in the promised land, and now it's just a question of, you know, can can we go even further? Yeah, and we talked about in the live pod, which, you know, this week we really got to have a big live pod, right? Like, like this is, <laughs> uh, but, but we did do a live pod before the, the game, and we talked about that arc from 2011 when, we when you know, the Denard team against Alabama to the 2019 bowl game to now here 2024, I guess we're in. Welcome to it. To beat Alabama, and I get it's not maybe the best Alabama squad of all time, but this is still an Alabama team that had more five stars than the entire Big Ten Conference. The the talent that, at least if you measure talent by recruiting rankings, would have suggested Alabama vintage you know team that's going to have no issue with Michigan. And Michigan came out and frankly was just the better team from start to finish. Almost cost it with some poor execution. Almost lost it. Made it not the most pleasant game necessarily to watch. Um, the the heart was racing throughout, but uh, they're the, they were the better team, and ultimately the better team won and in dramatic fashion. Yeah. Well, Nick, let's let's get into it. We'll we'll go through our good men. Uh, we'll we'll talk about what those final moments of the game felt like, and like you know what deals you were making with <laughs> God, the devil, anybody that you might you know, worship or, or care about in this, this world or any other. 
and we'll finish with a preview of this Washington National Championship game. So a lot to cover over the next 45 minutes or so. Uh, Nick, let's go right in, end of the game. Before we get to the, the rest of the good, what are you thinking as as we march down the field, not even in overtime, but but as Michigan tries to make this comeback with about four minutes to go? Oh, man, so much panic. I, I would say I was more upset watching this game than I've been in a long time, and you can <laughs> attest to that, right? It was like It just felt like there were so many mistakes and this felt like it was our opportunity, right? Like to, to go win the whole thing. Because last year is like, I think we should have beat TCU, but you had Georgia waiting on the other end. And I don't know that this, you know, I, Michigan was very good last year. I, Georgia was excellent. I'm not sure we were going to beat Georgia. This year, it's wide open. And, it, and you go into this game and you're nervous. And then you're like, wait, we're actually better than Bama. Yeah, I and, actually wasn't nervous towards the end of the first half, beginning of the second half. Even though we'd left points on the board, even though the game was closer than it should have been, what we were doing just felt more repeatable yes. than what they were doing. We were dominating both sides of the line. Yeah, we'll get into it. Their offense had one drive in the entire game. Yeah. And so then it was like, we're going to lose this game despite being better talent-wise out game planning them, frankly. We out coached them. And it's going to come down to these dumb mistakes. And that's going to cost us. And I, so I was just, I was so frustrated by that. And it was like, this is our this is our opportunity. Like, I, you know, I, I don't know that we're going to have this good a Michigan team for a long time. And I don't know that, you know, Alabama is going to be relatively down like they, they were. And frankly, like, I don't know how they don't have a different center at this point in the game. Because <laughs> it, it wasn't like, when when Michigan bloggers are calling out the fact that your senator is a problem in their preview, and then he goes and you know did what he did, like that's on the coaches. You're the ones putting him out there, knowing that like he's going to have you know four, five, six low snaps every game. Yeah, you almost you almost felt bad for him. Yeah, um, move him to guard like, or put know, someone else. If in I there. go out there, like yeah, I'm going to get killed. It's <laughs> yeah. not my fault, right? <laughs> Uh, the other thing I was thinking, though, when it when it got to overtime, and especially when we scored and it was in overtime, was I'm glad Tommy Reese is the offensive coordinator. <laughs> no disrespect. I mean, there is disrespect there to Tommy Reese. But, like, he's been kind to Michigan over the years. Yeah, that player as a player and as a coach. Um, but, Nick, I think once we got to overtime, I was very confident. Yeah. Once we got to overtime, I felt like this team is going to get it done. And so this this is a great transition into the good, the men, the uh, because my top good, my goodness, there's so many Blake memories from these seasons that we've had with him and all the special time. But to have that 17-yard run with the vintage Blake Corum regap cut and then the sprint to the end zone, I mean, that's a run that we'll be doing it, I guarantee, with our kids in the backyard at mom and dad's house will go up and I can just imagine running that, running it right to the corner with the, the tree stump or where the, the maple <laughs> tree used to be and saying, yeah, that was a Blake Corm. Right I'm, I'm guessing the way that we would do the double Cobra Mario Manningham back in the day. Yes. Um, I'm guessing, you know, you've read at this point, obviously, Brian's game column sure. for, for MGO blog. I think we have to give a shout out and a plug. Not a lot of free advertising here on the show, but if you have not checked that out, Brian Cook at MGO Blog wrote what I think is, you know, the best article he's he's ever written. He's written a lot of good ones about that run. 
and walking on the field and what it meant. And, you know, this is a guy, again, who it's not just that we've seen him grow up in Michigan. It's that he is he is what this program aspires to be and what I think all of us aspire to be Um, and to see him you know, battle through, battle back from injury. And then there was the question, you know, is he back to real vintage Blake Corum form? And why hasn't the running game got it going this year? And to have that run that was absolutely vintage Blake Corum to be the ceiling, you know, play of the game, you can't can't draw it up any better. And through it all, the easiest guy in the world to root for. He hurts himself last year. It doesn't stop him from going door to door delivering turkeys. Yeah. Paid for out of his own NIL money. This year... Everything going around on with the playoff, he takes time out to put on a Toys for Tots drive, a toy drive, and gets over 25,000 toys donated. I mean, this is a a human being, frankly, either your son or my daughter, given given the androgynous nature of his name. (laughs) We both owe him an apology for not, you know, we thought about JJ-like names, but Blake has really got to be the name of the next Fogel child. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, me having said that now guarantees it won't be our child's name because Becky hears this. <laughs> but, um, Will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my cap here to Jesse Minter with my number two pick. And it couldn't, you know, take your pick here, really. But the defense was so dominant that it was hard to pick like an individual unit or an individual player. And so I'm going with more just like Jesse Minter dialed up a game plan and coached up a team that was lights out, you know, just, just shut down Alabama. You know, they got a couple plays on that one drive, and then there's, you know, the, the bust for the first touchdown. Outside of that, there's nothing. And they are – like the story of this game is the D-line just putting Alabama's offensive line in a trash can and kicking it all game long. <laughs> and it's, it's fitting that that's how the game ended because that was the story of the game, like just dominance on, on the defensive line. And when the defensive line was getting after Milrow, it must have been terrifying because there was nowhere to go. The pocket yeah. collapsed almost uniformly. Every time he was hit, he was hit by two or three guys almost simultaneously. Yeah, those um, were those were pocket sacks. Yeah, it wasn't like sacks. one guy. It wasn't an Aiden Hutchinson or a Jabo sack. It was like, okay, this guy has nowhere to go, and he's going down. Nick, I, I'm going to give it to the trick plays, and you you gave it to Minter, maybe not to Sharon Moore entirely, but but to Sharon Moore and and Coach Harbaugh dialing up these trick plays, even though they were near disasters, right? Both of the sort of the the flick back from Donovan to JJ, who gets it downfield to Roman, and that's complete. But you know, we almost lost that ball, and then of course we almost lose when Blake. Uh, tosses back to JJ. I still liked the aggressiveness, and I think we're going to need to see that level of aggressiveness against Washington. I don't know that we need quite the same level of. I, I, I did like the aggressiveness against Alabama. Sorry, Alabama's, you may be right because we may be able to just run the ball yeah. straight up against Washington or throw the ball. Like, yeah. I just think we will be able to move the ball in more conventional ways. Um, Alabama's defense is is pretty good, and I thought we we dialed up. Like frankly, you know, it was a great game plan on offense. And if you if you make a few more plays. Um, or, you know, a couple of those, those those things that didn't go our way, I think people are thinking of this as a very good offensive performance. It was a couple of, of just frankly, mistakes. 
Yeah. Not at all from the coaching side. I thought the, the coaches did a good job. We had said before the game we wanted to see JJ run. We wanted to see us threaten multiple gaps when we ran the ball, not just run the ball up the middle and not do a ton of just straight up drop back passing. The only thing that was a surprise was we probably could have done more drop back passing. Like, yeah. the, the offensive line held up. Um, and, but, but, you know, again, the game plan was solid. They did all of those things. And, um, and again, that's why it would have been so upsetting to lose this game because because all the, you, you check all those boxes. Nick, what else you got in the good? Well, you have to shout out JJ, right? I mean, JJ saves the game with that, you know, making the, the play on the you know, the Donovan throw. Uh, but he also comes in and orchestrates one of the all-time drives in, in Michigan history. And obviously there's a lot of key players on that. Roman Wilson, who I imagine you maybe were also going to shout out, you know, with that that sensational catch off the tip pass. Um, but, but JJ was, was cool and collected the whole way. And I think it's, it's sort of not just how he played, but how he led this team and the atmosphere, you know, him going out to take that final drive, there was a coolness and a, and a confidence that you could see in him. And I'm terrified just watching the thing, but you did have some faith, like, all right, this guy, this guy is actually out there, like confidently doing what he's doing. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I've got to give it to the setting. Uh, and, and we may need to make a pact to go to a Rose Bowl because neither of us has actually been to one of these games. Now, not entirely our fault. Michigan hasn't played in a Rose Bowl since 2007. But when the 12-team playoff gets its act together and makes the Rose Bowl the national championship game, which seems like everyone is saying should happen, when that happens, I think we have to get out there the next time Michigan's playing. Yeah. I mean, it absolutely should be the, the, the case. Like, the... It on TV, it looks so incredible. Like the sunset and the, you know, the mountains. And uh, I do like, you know, again, shout out to, to Brian. as he, he was out at the game talking about how, um, you know, there, there's almost no piped in music. Um, and, and so you have just the bands. It's like the old school essence of the sport. The big bowl, like, oh, man, it is beautiful. Like that contrast that with. You know, they, they play these games. The Pop-Tart like, or, or I was going to say, even the Sugar Bowl. Like, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's just a generic dome stadium where we where we get most of these big championship games. It was awesome for it to be there and for this to be kind of the last big Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, potentially for, for a long time. So I agree that Fitting that, was, that it, you know, you, you wish it would have been Washington, Michigan, right? But fitting at least yeah. that a Big Ten team, one of the two conferences won it. And maybe this does make the, the case for that becoming the, the championship setting. Nick, should we move on to the math? The only thing I, I have to mention, because it's going to come back again later, so we got to mention it here. I thought the cornerbacks were really good. Yes. And not just Will Johnson, who you expect to be good, but Josh Wallace was, was pretty close to lockdown. I think he gave up 17 yards on two completions when targeted. Like the, the cornerbacks in this game were really good. One of the questions coming in, like you had the, this is where I think the money was going against Michigan. This is where you, you know, folks like, you know, Pete Feinbaum, who are basically saying Michigan doesn't have the talent to play with them. Like athletically, they're not capable. Nothing could be further from the truth, right? Yeah. We looked more athletic. Well, you've, certainly got, to, you've got to put some of that to the coaches because Josh Wallace was a mediocre cornerback at UMass. Pretty good, but yeah. pretty good. You know, mediocre, pretty good for a UMass team. Right. And he comes to Michigan and he is now playing, you know, at a second team, all Big Ten level. 
Yeah, he was brought in. He was brought in to be like the floor when the hope was, you know, like a freshman Jair, Jair Hill would be the starter at this point. Yeah. And now he is shutting down Alabama wide receivers on, you know, the biggest stage. Mikey Sanger still comes in, you know, originally starts as a receiver. He's a three star. Now he's an All American playing at the nickel position. And this leads us to our man. I'm guessing this might have been where you were going. Because one of the mess, we've got to say, Mikey Sanger still doesn't miss a lot of tackles. The big one he missed in space on the first Milner touchdown. Yeah, that was a big one. I, I actually only have two here. I wasn't looking at specific plays so much. I broke the special teams into two because obviously there's a lot of special teams going in the uh. I put the punting of Tommy Doman in the meh. That was pretty close to uh as well. I think he averaged like 39, and it wouldn't have been as egregious if Alabama's punter wasn't just booming them. So we we got absolutely destroyed in the punting war, um, and and that cost us a ton of field position. Um, it felt like an off game for for Doman throughout, but that I, I put put that one in the mat. Interesting. Doman's day for me was right there near the top of the uns, also because I think the hold was responsible for one of the missed field goals. Um, but the missed field goals, to me, were a mess. We missed these field goals, but these are 45-plus. I think one was 48, the other was 50. You're going to miss some field goals from that distance. Did we, I thought we only missed one. Even even more than that. Yeah, I think we missed a 48-yarder, yeah. Um, to me, that happens. And it's a, you know, our kicking has been good this year, but the punting, giving up 10 yards of field position every time punts were exchanged was just so painful. Yeah. Um, well, I have also, and I don't know, I don't, I hesitate to even bring this up. And I put it in the men, not the uh, almost because I don't want to talk about it too much. I just wish Harbaugh would have put the speculation about the job stuff to bed. And I totally get that um, that's a fan wanting him to do that and, and not a maybe the most rational you know thing. And, and he very well may come back, but it just kind of, it's too bad you, when you – there's a part of this win that, that you want to be like, yes, and this is now like entrenching us as like the dominant player, you know, for years to come. A la the way, you know, when, when Georgia finally got over the hurdle and beat Bama and then it was like, well, now Georgia's arrived and they're going to be the big kid on the block. Um, you want that here. What's holding that back is, well, what's, what's going to happen to Harbaugh? Look, I mean Harbaugh loves Michigan. That much is clear. And Harbaugh is a competitor, and he may want to compete for a Super Bowl again, right? He may want to get back at his brother. I, I understand that fraternal competition uh, that he may have in his mind. And if that's what he wants to do, and certainly it seems like he at least wants to entertain that. Otherwise, it would be a bet. I think we just have to respect that. We have to be grateful for what he's given this program. And he's set it up such that I think there will be continuity. We have a head coach in waiting in Sharon Moore, who I think we're excited about. We've got a staff that has stayed together and potentially would stay together. Um, and so I think we've, we've gotten all that we can, given you have to respect that people are living their lives and making their choices. Let's let's move on to the uh. Yeah. Um, the, the uh. Um, and maybe we go through these quickly, because while there are some big ones, collectively, we're going to the national championship. Yes. Game. So <laughs> it's, it's one of those ones that's like, 
my heart can only stand so much. <laughs> and so these were, were near, you know, cardiac events for me. Um, <laughs> Samaj Morgan dropping the, dropping the punt. That was really bad. That would have, you know, when you look at the screenshots of that, it's like, man, he had running room. So not only does that give Alabama a short field and, and end up with the first touchdown of the game and kind of give you the like, Oh shoot, like, here we go. Um, it also takes away what was almost certainly going to be points for Michigan because he's that, the ball is. We're going to get field position on like the forty at, at worst if he feels that. They're forty. They're forty. Yeah. Um, the missed extra point, which even at the time you like knew was going to loom large, and ends up yeah, like that would, having one extra point would have been really nice. The missed field goal, same thing. And then, dear Lord Jake Thaw, like oh my, I. You can only take so much as a <laughs> You have one job. <laughs> you have one job on this team. And you see it coming, and you're like, no, he's not going to feel that. He's not going to feel that. And then he fields it and drops it, and it's like, oh, God. I will say, though. What a recovery. What a recovery. Yeah. Because if he, even if he, it's almost a Dianu in reverse, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, if would it would have been bad enough if you just let it you know let it fall and maybe they they stopped it at the one but hopefully it goes in the end zone you don't care well he definitely should have just let should have let it fall but he tries to receive it okay if he had caught it maybe but then if he catches after muffing it if he catches that and takes any backward momentum himself right that could have been a safety yeah and so what presence of mind to get that ball and, and only kneel. be moving forward. Even as you know you're going to get killed, yeah, uh, and hold on to that ball. So, both a bad and a good. The unreserved bad that I'm surprised you didn't mention there. JJ's first pass, first play from scrimmage. What are we doing? Yeah, he had open guys and he throws it right to Alabama. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let's let's move. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be a happy day. This is a happy podcast. We're um, Michigan fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Will, a couple questions for you before we, we take a break and, and then look ahead to, to Washington, who won a thriller of their own. Um, I, I'm curious. So we talked on the, on the live pod uh, about kind of, you know, what, what this might mean for, for the program. And you're sort of measuring yourself against Bama these last you know, decade or, or however long it's been. And clearly we haven't been up to, to standard and now we are. Um, where does this one rank for you in terms of, of statements over the last, you know, the turnaround since the COVID year? Where does it rank and what does it say about where Michigan's at? I think it ranks behind the 21 OSU win, which to me is maybe the most important win since 1969. Um, that was, we are back, we are in power, we've got our mojo, we can beat our rival. It probably ranks ahead of every other win that we've had during this time uh, because having beaten Ohio State, this was not only are we the champions of the West, but we are a serious player on the national stage. Yeah. Um, and this was the next hump to get over. Do you need it? Is it kind of the, um, you know, 1980 miracle on ice, you, you beat the Russians. Do you need to then go beat the, you know, what do they beat, Finland, to yeah. uh, to, to actually make that statement? Like if, if Michigan well, loses to Washington... Forty-four years from now, like you just did with with Miracle on Ice, you probably do. Yeah. Right. Um, sickos like us will be talking about it regardless. But for <laughs> it to be known, the fan base over. Yes, you got to finish what you started. And if if they finish what they started, it does seem like you might though remember this one even more than the championship, right? Yes. Like it's kind of like you know that Ohio State win in twenty twenty one. No one really remembers the Iowa 
game after it. Like you had to win it to get the Big Ten championship. But that- I think that's right. But it also is not giving nearly enough credit to Washington because Washington is not Finland to Alabama's USSR, nor is it the Iowa to Ohio State. Right. This Washington team is to me scarier than this Bama team. But in terms of the program, I actually think it's not that far off. Like they're a, they're a good program. They're not an elite program. Nick Saban is the best college football coach of all time. Alabama is the most dominant. Alabama over this stretch, I don't think we will see another program like that. Yeah. And so it, it is a mass. You, you knocked off the juggernaut. Aren't you happy now that we were playing Alabama and not Florida State? And having all the oh, asterisks, yeah. SEC haters. After we win the game, of course. <laughs> of course. But, um, that, you know, that, that brings me to the next point, which is the SEC versus Big Ten has got a lot of play here in the, um, you know, in, in the bowl season. The SEC gets, gets the wins over Ohio State and, and uh, Penn State and then, you know, crushes Iowa. And, um, but we now have an all-Big Ten final. Right? Essentially, yeah. we have an all Big Ten final. The Big Ten teams beat the SEC teams. Um, what do you, what, what's the narrative now around you know, the big bad SEC and the Big Ten? Look, I, I think we're headed to a big two in college football. The SEC and the Big Ten, the new versions of each, are just so far ahead of any other conference. And you see it with Florida State opting out of the ACC, realizing they've got to get to one of those two conferences because that's where all the action is going to be. You have to throw out the Ohio State and Penn State losses, given all the opt-outs. End of the day, these are the two best conferences in college football, and I think they're pretty even right now. Yeah. I That said, I was pretty happy to see, you know, like I, I was happy to see Washington for, for some reasons, um, but I think for this narrative, like going into next year, it's like, well, the Big Ten beats your two best, right? Yes. So, Yeah. We'll see them in conference next fall. Yes. Right? The rematch of the national title game. It's fun to say that. That's right. Um, does this silence the haters well? So there's been a lot of haters on Michigan this year. From the very beginning, there was like, well, they're not playing anybody. Yeah, okay, they look good, but the, the non-conference is a joke. The Big Ten's a joke. Then it was, you this, know, This is like game. asking, does a court ruling uh, on the 2020 election um, silence people who think the election was stolen? No, absolutely. It might make them a little quieter for a little bit. Um, but there are people out there who hate Michigan, and they will continue to find reasons to hate Michigan and to put asterisks around our season. And, and I think you just have to block it out. Yeah. You just have to ignore it uh, and go on living your happy championship life. I do think it's going to change a lot of minds in the South because I think a lot of people in the South you know, think of the Big Ten and, and think of Michigan as like perpetually overrated. And, and again, that athletic gap being there, that like when push comes to shove, they can't hang with Georgia. They can't hang with Alabama because they're just not fast enough. They're just not big enough. And when you watch the game, it was like, oh, no, they actually are. Like, I, and I think that like the defensive line performance in particular jumps out as like, okay, maybe this team is, is actually just quite good. I think the challenge is to really change minds. And you, you look at the Ohio State fan base. They now think of Michigan as a real team because we've done it three years in a row. But I think many of them after 21 might have thought, well, it was the snow. It was the sickness. It was Aiden Hutchison. It's not who Michigan is. And so I think you'd have to do this two or three times. And I think it's going to be really hard 
to do next year or the year after. Yeah. I just think I just think for this year's team, I think they silence a lot of critics in the way that they did it. Like and it's a twenty seven twenty game that Alabama, you know, I'm sure the the analytics would say that and you know, eighty plus percent chance to win late in the fourth quarter of that game. So it could have gone the other way. That said, I think most people watching it would say, yes, Michigan was better. And just the, the eyes being open to like, okay, this is a legitimate national championship team. And, and all the Seingate stuff, there's going to be some people who, who cling to that. But I think for a lot of people, they recognize like, hey, look, the gauntlet that Michigan went through was after that. Yeah. And they did, the, they did a lot of it without their coach and with all the distractions. The Seingate talking point, I think, will go away. There will be some other talking point that they'll use because I think the sign gate one has been refuted given what they did down the stretch. Yeah. Um, Will tied, tied to all of that. When you think about the talent, you think about the athleticism. One thing that we haven't seen is a shift in recruiting for Michigan. So Michigan is now the only team that's made the playoff three years in a row. Um, they've won the big 10 three years in a row and they've seen no noticeable uptick in terms of the, the top end Recruiting now. This I think this recruiting class looks quite good. You've got 18 four stars, which I I really like. I think there's a lot of guys who who are probably underrated in there. But it's not you know it's ranked 16 in the country. It is not what you would expect for a team that has performed the way Michigan has performed. How sustainable is this level of performance given where we're at recruiting wise? I think it's it's unlikely to be sustainable. And I would ask you. I mean, 16th, right? So this this team. Part of this team was the 21 class, 22 class, 20 class. Those classes are right around the top 10, right? Um, if you're 16th, I mean, really what you're asking is, can you win without Will Johnson, who was the sixth rated recruit in the country, without JJ, who was one of the top quarterbacks in the country, without Blake Corum, without Roman Wilson, without Donovan Edwards, all top 100 guys, I think at those skill positions, you may be able to grow offensive linemen and pick out tight end diamonds in the rough. But at the skill positions, you're going to need some of these top recruits. I mean, to be fair, our running backs, I think, are pretty highly recruited, right? Like, Colton Man is a high, high recruit. Jordan, Jordan Marshall, Marshall is yeah. a high recruit. Um, we, we definitely lack the, the, the elite wide receiver talent, but I think it's hard to claim that Michigan's been elite there outside of that, that blip with Nico Collins, DPJ, and, and they you know, <laughs> were, were criminally underutilized. Um, it seems like we've, we've won without that. The last two times we've been in the national championship game, we've had an All-American corner. Right? Yeah. But um, if you can grow, like if you've got Klingscale and you're growing Josh Wallace into a big ten, like an All-Big Ten corner... Yeah, I mean, I th- we'll, think, we'll so, see. I think like if Josh Wallace was your your CB one, you'd be pretty terrified staring down Roma Dunze. It is nice to have Will Johnson yes out there and say we can live with one on one coverage some of the time. So I, I do think there's a a bit of a misnomer when you say like oh the top ten versus sixteen. Like how big of a difference is it between? Like I think there's a big difference between like one and two, and then like maybe it's one, two, and three, and then everybody else recruiting wise. I don't know how big of a difference there is between like number seven and number 16. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the, 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 I think one of the things that we've seen in is the, the recruiting landscape has gotten a lot more level. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's massive about this is there, there's two things. One is, is the transfer side. Can you, can you effectively, you know, pick out 
uh, not just you know good transfers, but transfers who you need at positions of, of need. Can you find those guys? Michigan's been really good at that. Some high impact transfer players. And then the final thing, and I think this is the most important, is like, can you get the culture where guys want to stay? If you can get one, this is this is like the the college basketball approach. We said that the, recruiting the, one more year out of a junior right. rather than recruiting a freshman. What makes college basketball so fun and so interesting and, and you don't know who's going to win is there's multiple ways to win. You can go the like, well, let's recruit all five stars, but you're only going to get them for a year. Or you can try to get a team of like guys that will be there for a while and you'll, you'll actually play them when they're juniors and seniors. I think Michigan getting, you know, one more year out of Corum, out of Zinter, out of Keegan, like that is – way more valuable than three freshmen, five stars. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I just think there's a seeding. You need the five-star quarterback oftentimes. Yeah. Right? Jaden Davis might be it. Jaden Davis might be it. Um, and I, I think you need some of that speed on, on defense as well. Yeah. Um, especially at corner. Yeah. 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 So we shall see. You'd like to see this bump up a little bit. I think it will – once the Harbaugh situation resolves one way or another, it's hard for top recruits to choose a program where they don't know who the coach is going to be. Yeah. And I think you can very reasonably not know who the coach is going to be at Michigan in two years right now. Yeah. I would also say just a final note for me, at least on, on the recruiting point, I, I think that Michigan strategy of like, if you have a finite pool of, of dollars that you can throw in NIL, I think using those dollars to keep your established starters a year longer is not a bad way to, as opposed to recruiting like top guys out of high school who, who may be fight risks if they don't get on the field or it doesn't, doesn't work out. These are guys who have proven it on the field and you're just going to keep them one more year. That to me is a, is a savvy play if you have a finite pool of, of cash. Yeah. Also seems like more fun, more fun environment to be part of. Yeah. Re- rewarding performance of the team. Nick, Final question, probably the most important question we've ever been asked yeah. on this podcast. One of our one of the super fans of the pod out there, many of you remember uh, Stack Girl Sarah, um, who's you know longtime friend of the pod, our, our cousin-in-law. Her daughter, and they, they live in Seattle, right? Uh, used to live down in Pasadena, and so her father and grandfather would go to the Rose Bowl, um, you know, from, from their home nearby. Um, but now they live in Seattle, and at school, her classmate circulated a petition basically asking everyone in class to put their name down if they were rooting for Washington in this national title game. Dahlia bravely abstained, said no, profile and courage, standing up to her classmates, uh, and was made to feel bad even by you know people who should have known better like Nora. Right, uh, her her friend. Um, yeah, it was Hater was the guy. Is that his yeah, name? That might have been his name. It yeah. Should be his name. Uh, <laughs> so Dahlia is how old? Five, five years. No, old? no, she's like six, eight. seven, eight. I'm gonna say at least. I mean, that that writing was was impressive because we saw because we saw the note. Yeah. describing this instance. Yeah, I'm gonna say at least, at least seven, probably eight. So and Dahlia, apologies for not remembering your age, uh, but how should Dahlia? respond uh, to this kid and how should her parents uh, respond? You know, should she continue going to this school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, and um, 
you know, Sarah was, or Jessica was asking me, you know, as a teacher, what do, what do you do in that situation? And that, that's a tough one, man. Like I haven't, I haven't been in a, a situation like that where you get an obvious case of, of bullying going on. Uh, I think, you know, I think you gotta, you gotta put a stop to it. You gotta support the, the, the student who, um, appears to be singled out. Right. Um, and, and create some commonality. Now sports are a great thing in, in creating bonds. They can also, you know, they can do the us versus them thing. And, and while for, for us, you know, a little bit older, um, you could see that as, you know, just in fun, I think that can be, that can be challenging for, uh, for a young child. So, um, I would think about, you know, maybe taking it as a, a learning opportunity, one to, to remind Dahlia of the legacy, the rich legacy that she's a part of with, with Michigan. When you say you are supporting Michigan, what does that mean? It means, you know, your great grandparents met there. It means, you know, your dad, your grandfather and, and your five great or four great uncles went there. It means, you know, uh, your, your dad and mom met there. It, it's, it's, um, you know, all the great things that the university does. Maybe talk about Blake Corm and the toy drive and the, and the, and the turkeys, maybe talk about JJ's foundation. Um, but I might also take it, you know, you mentioned profiles and courage. I might think about, you know, this is an opportunity to talk about some other people who stood up. Um, and you don't want to compare it, you know, fully to, you know, you're talking like Rosa Parks here. But, but like, you know, it's an opportunity to say like, you don't have to join sometimes, the crowd. Sometimes right? you're not, your opinion isn't going to be the popular one. Right. And that's okay. Right. Um, and yeah. I, I think, I think some, you know, some, some message around that, um, you know, could, could be, could be important. Well, Dahlia, we, we do want to say, if you're listening, we love you. We are so proud of you um, and the young lady that you're you're becoming and of your fandom um, for Michigan, um, though we would love you regardless of who you were rooting for. <laughs> so um, with that, Nick, let's, let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back. We'll preview Washington briefly and get out of here. You're listening to 16 Saturdays. Welcome back to 16 Saturdays. We have not gotten to do this before on the, on the show in all the years that we've been doing it. We've never gone to a 16th Saturday. It was yes. an aspirational title when we when we named the show yep. back in 2017. Yep. The 16th Saturday, you count the bye week. So, uh, and it was and an eventful, a, it was an eventful bye week this year. That should be counted. after a Tuesday and this will be a Monday, but you know, we went with the alliteration. Yes. Um, so, Will, we get to preview a national championship game. There's no pick em outside of this. No. This is all there is. So, um, Will, what are you looking for here? Washington, we should say, they, they want a thriller. Um, 
Did you stay up for that? No. Okay. We watched the first half together, but it was like I was I was done after the Michigan game. Yeah. Well, and we're both dealing with sleep regressions from from children. So Ryan was done during the. He was stressed out. He had, <laughs> he had his. You know, he he had a big. Uh, you know, upchuck incident during the game that, you know, we not don't want, the only Michigan fan vomiting. Yeah. We don't want to make too light of it. It was, it was a scary moment, but, um, but he might've been pretty stressed out. So had you given him any of your 40? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Maybe, maybe not answering that on, on air. Um, Nick, let's, let's start when Washington has the ball. Yeah. Um, okay. So framing it up this way, uh, first Washington, it's actually a much more balanced team than you would expect. But they are best when they're moving the ball through the air. Uh, And they will be the best passing attack that we've seen all year. Uh, So think about their receivers as being right there with Ohio State. Um, Roma Dunze and Marvin Harrison Jr., top two receivers in the country. Um, The supporting cast is is almost as good. Uh, But you've got Michael Penix as the quarterback instead of Kyle McCord. And Michael Penix probably should have won the Heisman. And he is very different than Kyle McCord or Jalen Milrow in that when you pressure him, he doesn't fold. He doesn't get any worse. He calmly, coolly delivers the ball where it needs to go. Yeah, he is really impressive to watch. I think if it weren't for some some injury risk, I would think of him as the top pick in the draft. Like, if he plays the way he did yesterday, I haven't seen, you know, again, we only watched the first half and then I watched the highlights. But we saw him against Oregon, too. Like, he delivers the ball down the field with accuracy and, and poise better than anyone I've seen. And, and, and I, I, I want to say in, in college football, like in my lifetime, like he is really impressive as a, as a passer. He's also got a little bit of mobility too. Um, it's terrifying. I think Washington is going to get points. What do you do, Nick, given his mobility and given the fact that he really doesn't get rattled by pressure, on a passing down, are you bringing pressure and just trying to give your cornerbacks less time to, you know, give their receivers less time to get separation? Or are you dropping more and trying to provide some of the confusing schemes that Minter dialed up against Ohio State? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think you still you still want to get some pressure. And the nice thing is Michigan, even in the Bama game, it's not like we are blitzing the house, right? We're bringing like one extra guy. Um, I think you have to do that. Like it, he, I, he's too accurate. He throws the ball too hard. Um, uh, he's too smart. Um, I, I think he will find, find spots that said, we still mixed up the coverages quite a bit in that Bama game. So it's not like you're, it's not an either or it's like, yes, maybe bring a little bit more pressure than you brought against Ohio state. But, but by and large, I think the game plan was pretty similar. Ohio state and Bama. It was just like, Hey, Get pressure organically because you have a really good line. Bring a little bit of pressure, you know, from time to time and mix it up, confuse them in, in coverage. Like we are the number one defense, I believe now, right? After this game, I think we're the number one defense right. for a reason because we hold up at every level. And I think you have to just kind of lean into what got you there. You're going to get got a couple times. You have to score points in this game. But I, I don't think there's a reason why. Like I think Michigan is a better defense than Texas. And – um, and, and they, they got Texas a couple times for sure. They're going to get us a couple times, but I think you can live with that. Yeah. Uh, question for Michigan. Will Makari Page be back? He went down uh, early in this semifinal, and Quentin Johnson really seemed a bit of a step back. 
And so you'd, you'd like to see Makari Page back. Um, now, Nick, while they are mostly a, a pass-first team, this is a team that also likes to run the ball. And the big question mark for Washington will be the health of Dylan Johnson. They've said x-rays were negative. He's going to play. Again, injured horrifically on that second-to-last play, uh, one of the last plays of the game against Texas. Um, but how close to 100% will he be? Uh, because he had ran for about 150 yards in each of the Oregon wins and has 1,100 yards on the season. So making them a one-dimensional team, if he's out, I think they get a lot easier to beat. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, x-rays are one thing, but it probably wasn't a like bone situation. So yeah, okay, the x-rays can be negative, but you could still be dealing with some some pretty serious soft tissue stuff. This is what we said about Blake Corum before Ohio State last year. Right. I would be very, I think it's very unlikely that he is close to 100%. I think he, you know, obviously it's the national championship game. He'll probably do everything he can to, to suit up and play. Uh, but it seems like their running game will take a step back. And I would, I would expect that they're going to lean significantly less on the running game. I mean, also, they weren't effective against Texas with the run at all. And Texas has a really good D-line, but we have a really good D-line too. So I would expect, you know, this is going to be, this is going to come down to the, the passing game. It's going to be the USC 2004 where they just <laughs> yeah. refused to they didn't run the ball once in the second half and still beat us. So right. That does not, you know, Michigan fans shouldn't be happy uh, if Washington isn't running the ball. They're they're throwing to some very dangerous targets. I mean, the good news, like, I think we're going to get the good version of Penix, but the good news, such that it is, is like they had a really rough stretch in their season and they included like the the final game of the year at home against Washington State against your rival they put up 24 points but they needed you know a, a miracle last drive with a you know fourth down conversion to do it um it's not like this team has been world beating all year now i think the problem you get McMillan's back and he's healthy he's the number 2 receiver um you, you know and and you get a a good performance from Pettix, which i expect but it it is not LSU 2019. Right, right. Or Georgia 2021. Not on the defensive side. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Nick, let's talk about when Michigan has the ball. What are you looking to see there? This will be interesting because Washington's defense, I think, has has kind of struggled a lot of the year. They're, they're not great at tackling, but they do get a lot of pressure. Um, so I think you have to be worried about some of the negative plays. Um, obviously JJ needs to avoid, you know, any of the disasters and he's been very good at that, but he was, he was close, <laughs> flirted with the line. Um, I think we just need to be crisper, right? Like the, the, I think we can run our, our normal stuff. This is not a, it's not a defense that excels in one, any one particular area. And they have actually some, some pretty major flaws in different areas. So I think we can run our stuff. We just need to be crisp in our execution, which we, we weren't against Baylor. I think the one point I would add is that this is almost the anti-Iowa game in that you're going to expect them to put up points with their offense. And so when it comes down to it, you tilt towards more aggressiveness. I think you make a good point earlier. It may not be trick plays because your base sets may be good enough to, to really move the ball. But you get to those marginal fourth and two calls, the tilt is towards going for it because there's not as much of a difference giving Washington a short field or a long field. Penix can hit the 50-yard throw, so it doesn't really change much how far they have to go. Yeah, I will say, you know, another one to, to try to stay on schedule, because 
I think Texas got in trouble. They they were facing third and long like the entire first half. And so that you know, that allows what I think is kind of the strength of this defense is is, you know, the pass rush. Um and, and the, the blitzing, that allows that to be more effective. I think we should be able to run the ball in this game, especially if we continue that approach we saw in the Alabama game of threatening multiple gaps. I think we should we should be able to, to, to move the ball in standard ways and avoid setting up third and longs. Yeah, and Texas's running backs for getting seven yards a pop. I think the Michigan running attack is as good as Texas. Um, so we should be able to see, I, I agree with you completely. Like, like hit, hit, you don't need, what Texas was doing was like chucking it downfield all the time, which is kind of what they do. I don't think you need to do that against Washington. Put the ball in space and force their their players to make tackles. Like they haven't been great at that all year. You <laughs> That's don't not need, a Pac-12 strength. You can still make a lot of yards off of a relatively short pass. Um, and it's it's a lot higher percentage. Is it is it the Donovan Edwards game? Yeah, I mean, we've been saying this forever. I, I'll believe that when I see it. But I would love to see him, um, uh, you know, get 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 a few touches in this one. Um, yeah, I mean, he did have the he did have the the, the throw. Yeah, yeah. But no, I'd probably look for more Mullings, to be honest. Yeah. And Nick, who do you have receiving punts? Who's fielding your oh, punts? Oh right God! Now? I mean, that's do where you probably, not have anybody back there. Yeah, you that's <laughs> that's probably where Donovan should have been used this year. As a as a punt returner, I, I don't know what you do on. Like, I guess I guess you go with. They're probably you know I think it would be you know you put Morgan back there you show some faith in the guy, right? Like um, I don't think this is a faith showing time. I, I actually think you probably go Jake Thought if he's your more reliable option. Yeah, you go with whoever is most reliable to catch the ball. Because I don't think you really need, again, this is not a team whose defense is outstanding. So you don't need the field position win. You need to avoid the turnover. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you could crush Morgan if you put him out there and he, he does exactly. a bad time. Exactly. You, you might just see, I, I would like to see Morgan involved in the game. But I mean, he's a really good player. And also just for his, you know, his Well, he confidence. fits your billing on a, a short pass, get a guy in space, make them tackle you. Yep. Right? For sure. End arounds. Yep. Lots so. of opportunity for him. Um, well, Nick, that'll do it for us. Normally, I lead us out, uh, but this week, I think I've got to turn it over to Coach. Well, should we, uh, should we say um, Live Pod, right? Live Pod. So, Live Pod, I don't know if you want to want to think about a time. Well, we still don't know. I'm not clear on when kickoff is. Yeah. They always it, say, say coverage begins at 7.30. It's got to be around there. Yeah. 7.45. So maybe we begin at 6, 6.30? Yeah, so we'll get that out to the people. But yeah. but but be looking for that. Um, reach out if you don't see it. We will definitely have a live pod going, uh, assuming you're not at the game. Right, right. Uh, or if I am, you'll, you'll find a sub, uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get this done. So live pod either way. Um, but we will let uh, Coach Harbaugh, who's leading us to the promised land, lead us out of this podcast. Go Blue. Go blue. But you're right. You hit. You you nailed it the first time. Who's got it better than us? Said I'm going to LA.